Up next, they meet in cyberspace. He was fishing for women on the internet. Rebecca had sent some suggestive pictures of herself. They make plans to meet face to face. They were getting all hot and heavy with each other. A day later, Rebecca and two others are dead. They all appear to be execution-style murders. And the killer disappears into thin air, but not without a trace. Every crime that occurs these days probably has a digital component. On average, 911 dispatchers in Tulsa, Oklahoma, receive about 3,000 emergency calls a night. One night, they got a call about a fire that sounded routine. I can see flame, but I can't always see smoke. I mean, the back of the house is lit up. And what's your name? My name's Kenneth. Kenneth, where are you calling from? Cell phone. I'm on my way home from my friend's house. The 911 operator told Kenneth to stay on the line as firemen raced to the scene. Then something strange happened. It appeared that there was some sort of interaction with somebody maybe that was walking up to him. Is that fire in there? Huh? Okay. Okay. Hello? Hello? When firemen arrived at the scene, they put out the blaze. And in a car, parked in front of the home, slumped over the steering wheel, was the man who called 911. He'd been shot to death. He was identified as 24-year-old Kenneth Maxwell, a truck driver who lived just a mile away. Friends said he was going home from a party when he drove by. That's just horrific. No one ever thinks the Good Samaritan is going to be a victim. Inside the house, firefighters found two bodies. A man in the kitchen shot in the head at point-blank range. His body is right there, and he's covered up with a rug. And a woman in a back bedroom. She's naked and shot several times in the head through a pillow, like someone was trying to muffle that sound. The victims were identified as the homeowners, 51-year-old Fred Barney and his 42-year-old wife, Rebecca. We were not able to find any kind of connection between Kenneth Maxwell and the Barneys. But investigators learned that Rebecca and Fred Barney had an unusual relationship. After six years of marriage, they were getting a divorce. They had no children, and the divorce was amicable. So they decided to continue to live together and sleep in separate bedrooms until the divorce was final. So they didn't have an intimate relationship anymore, but they were still good friends. In the dining room, Rebecca's clothing was folded in two neat piles. Anybody that takes their glasses off and puts them on their clothing in the dining room, I'm thinking there is something really went bad here. This is not a voluntary thing. Somebody is forcing Rebecca to do this. That's when you realize this is not going to be your average murder. Arson experts determined 
The fire in Fred and Rebecca Barney's house was no accident. You got a stove pulled out, gas line cut. It has all the appearances of somebody trying to conceal uh, what had just taken place in that home. But the killer hadn't counted on someone driving by and reporting the fire. That call cost Kenneth Maxwell his life, but saved a lot of evidence. Bless his heart, he saved the investigation. He got 911 help there. The fire department put out the fire, and there was still plenty of evidence for us to analyze and work off of. Kenneth Maxwell's 911 call also prevented fire damage to the bodies. From the evidence at the scene, it appeared the killer caught Fred Barney completely off guard. He had been shot once in the back of the head. Fred was wearing pajamas. Uh, it appeared that Fred had been making a sandwich in the kitchen. There was no real sign of a struggle. Rebecca's body was found in the bedroom. She had been shot numerous times, leading investigators to conclude she'd been the primary target. He puts that pillow over her face and shoots her. And I think it's significant that he shot her more than once. He shoots Fred once. He shoots her three times because he is pissed. Ballistic tests revealed all three murder victims, Kenneth Maxwell and Fred and Rebecca Barney, were all killed with a 22 caliber weapon, the same 22 caliber weapon. The lack of forced entry indicated that Fred and or Rebecca knew the killer. First glance, it appeared nothing had been stolen. The victim's money and credit cards were untouched. But in a back bedroom, something was missing. The computer tower itself was gone, so that alarmed me uh, right off the bat. Why would a killer steal only the computer? To me, that clearly showed very quickly that there's a, there's a computer angle on this crime, there's an internet angle on this crime. On the night of the murders, investigators discovered Fred and Rebecca were seen together in a bar called Arnie's, a regular hangout of theirs. Witnesses said they were with a man no one at the bar had seen before. They described him as a really tall guy. He was well over 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, She's introducing him that night as, this is my new internet boyfriend. Friends said that Fred looked tired and disinterested. It seemed pretty apparent to the patrons in the bar who knew Fred that Fred wasn't very enamored with the, the date that Rebecca was bringing. Rebecca didn't introduce the man to acquaintances by name, but she did introduce him nevertheless. Rebecca and introduced this man that she was with as, you know, this is my 10-inch cowboy, I think is how she referred to him out at the bar. Patrons and staff told investigators that Fred, Rebecca, and the cowboy left Arnie's together at closing time. The bar was only five minutes from the Barney's house. Arnie's closes around 2 o'clock. The fire is being called in at 3.11. So a lot happened between the time they left that bar at Arnie's and that hour before those murders happened. Investigators knew nothing about the so-called cowboy. They had no name, no idea where he was from. But something found at the crime scene quickly filled in a lot of those gaps. 
At Rebecca Barney's autopsy, the medical examiner determined she'd been sexually assaulted, but collecting a biological sample wouldn't be easy. Miss Barney was on her menstrual cycle, and so there was so much of her DNA that it was literally overwhelming the other contributing DNA that we were finding. Fortunately, a quick-thinking paramedic at the scene had swabbed parts of Rebecca's body while others were trying to save her life. This is pretty heads up. I know this is a crime. She was found nude. What if there's DNA? And turns out, yes, there was saliva, both on Becky's neck and on her breast. But when the DNA profile was put into the national DNA database of known criminal offenders, investigators encountered another setback. They did not get enough markers to work to compare to that database. Investigators were fairly certain the DNA belonged to the man seen with Rebecca and Fred in the bar just an hour before their deaths. But who was this man? The computer had been stolen from Fred and Rebecca's home, but investigators did find several emails Rebecca had printed. One was from a man with an unusual screen name. He had a screen name. I believe it was Cowboy for You 67. The communication was very sexualized. The printout showed that Rebecca and Cowboy for You 67 had exchanged suggestive pictures over the internet. Hers were considerably more modest than his. He attached a picture of, apparently, his penis with a ruler right next to it. In one of the emails that, that I uh, viewed, you could tell that Rebecca was trying real hard. She was lonely, kind of a lost soul. Investigators were fairly certain. These emails were from the man with Rebecca and Fred at the bar on the night of their murders. This is my 10-inch cowboy, I think, is how she referred to him out at the bar. Certainly a material witness to perhaps the last hour or hours of the lives of Fred and Rebecca Barney. The cowboy had also provided this picture. But since he was wearing sunglasses, there was no way to identify him. Investigators turned to the Tulsa Police Cyber Crimes Unit. I'd venture to say... Every crime that occurs these days probably has a digital component. There's going to be some type of communication utilizing the internet or some type of cell service. A court-authorized search revealed the person using the screen name cowboy for You 67 met someone new online just three days before the murders, Wild Ivy. They find out who Wild Ivy is, it's Becky. cowboy for You 67 was identified as James Kidwell, a 31-year-old part-time computer science student who lived in Gore, Oklahoma, about a 90-minute drive from the murder site. He's divorced, he's got two kids, he's having some money issues, so he's living at home. A year earlier, Kidwell had been questioned but never charged in a domestic violence incident. He had a warrant in relation to slashing tires of an ex-girlfriend. You know, that's a, a red flag in a domestic situation. When police notified law enforcement in Gore, Oklahoma, that they planned to arrest James Kidwell, they got a pleasant surprise. On that particular day, when we were headed to Gore to serve our warrant, the Gore PD actually pulled Kidwell over on some unrelated charges. 
police couldn't help but notice that Kidwell's car was a mess. I mean, he's just got junk porn out of it. It's like he almost lives out of that car. It's probably pretty obvious to Rebecca pretty quick. All right, maybe he is well endowed, but he's not the kind of guy I want to have a relationship with. When Kidwell was arrested, police found a loaded rifle in his car, a weapons violation. He was asked if he knew uh, Rebecca Barney, and he told us he didn't know anyone by that name. His computer would tell investigators the truth. When James Kidwell was arrested for the murders of Kenneth Maxwell and Fred and Rebecca Barney, he was with a young woman he'd met online less than 12 hours after the crime. When questioned, she told police she immediately regretted dating him. She said he always carried a loaded weapon. She was absolutely scared. I mean, just kind of invaded this young lady's life. I mean, she definitely uh, felt uh, threatened by it. Kidwell lived with his mother. Inside, police didn't find the murder weapon or the computer stolen from the Barney's home. But the hard drive on Kidwell's computer showed numerous contacts with many women. But he'd only deleted one series of files, the ones addressed to Wild Ivy 2003, Rebecca Barney's screen name. This one folder, for some reason, he felt a need to delete that. So, uh, to me, that indicates a need to hide something. The evidence showed Kidwell met Rebecca online just three days before the murders, and during that time, exchanged more than 70 emails. The day before the murders, Rebecca gave Kidwell her telephone number. After the murders, all communication stopped. Jimmy did not send any, any messages to her after the shooting. Totally inconsistent behavior with the behavior of, of the three days before uh, the homicide. And despite claims he didn't know who Rebecca was, Kidwell's computer showed he had a keen interest in her murder. Someone using that computer uh, for several days after the crime was looking up news stories to see what the latest news was on the crime. Kidwell was confronted with this cyber evidence. Mr. Kidwell begins to change his story. Kidwell then admitted knowing Rebecca Barney and admitted he was hoping for a sexual encounter, but said when Fred Barney accompanied them to the bar, it was clear to him the date was going nowhere. He told us that he was only there probably five to 10 minutes before uh, he left heading back to Gore, Oklahoma. Ballistic testing revealed that Kidwell's 22 caliber rifle was not the murder weapon. But records showed Kidwell also owned a 22 caliber handgun, which police were unable to find. In Kidwell's dryer, Investigators found two shirts. Although they'd been washed, they still contained rust-colored stains. Despite being washed and dried, analysts were able to obtain DNA from the stains and generate a profile. 
They could not exclude Rebecca Barney from being a contributor to that profile, and only one in 12,000 individuals in the general population would match that profile. But was Kidwell's DNA at the crime scene? The profile from saliva on Rebecca's body was very weak. So analysts returned to the DNA from Rebecca's rape kit. Because she was menstruating, the DNA was predominantly female, but there were minute amounts of male DNA too. This time, analysts used a process called YSTR, which zeroes in on one part of the sample, the Y chromosome, which only men have. Fortunately, there was enough to generate a profile, and it matched James Kidwell's. Investigators were convinced that on the night of the murders, James Kidwell was primed for a torrid sexual encounter. You're not driving 75 miles just to say hi. As a precaution, Rebecca asked her estranged husband to accompany her on her first meeting with Kidwell. He did so reluctantly since he just returned from a business trip. The evidence shows when they returned to the Barney's house, Fred went to his room and changed into his pajamas. Prosecutors believe that Rebecca refused Kidwell's advances, either because she didn't like him, because of her having her menstrual period, or both. Regardless of the reason, Kidwell got angry and left but not before getting a 22 caliber handgun from his car. By this time, thinking Kidwell was gone, Fred was in the kitchen making a sandwich. Kidwell shot him at point-blank range. He then forced Rebecca to take off her clothes, assaulted her in the bedroom, then killed her. cover up the crime, he pulled the stove from the wall, cut the gas line, and started the fire. He left with the Barney's computer, thinking he was removing all the evidence. Kenneth Maxwell drove by on his way home from a party, saw the flames, and called 911. I can see flames, but I can't always see smoke. I mean, the back of the house is lit up. When Kidwell saw this, he shot Maxwell, too. The police never recovered the Barney's computer or the murder weapon. But Kidwell left plenty of electronic and biological evidence behind. The thing that sticks out about this case to me more than anything is Kenneth Maxwell and the sacrifice that he made for being a good citizen. In November of 2004, James Kidwell was tried and convicted of three counts of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. I think just being detailed and paying attention to detail, in my opinion, is what you have to do in each and every case you know, to, make, to ensure that you don't miss anything. Nothing you put on a computer is going to disappear unless it's at the bottom of a lake or is somehow 
destroyed in the fire. It's going to follow you even if you think you have destroyed it. <laughs>